Bring it in. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday. Uh, recording this right now. It is just about lunchtime, Friday afternoon. This is going to be kind of a weekend pod for y'all, right? You know, I think we all, with the holiday schedule, um, it wasn't necessarily, uh, <laughs> it wasn't a, a likely outcome that I was going to be able to go from Thanksgiving dinner after working, driving up to Philly, and then hanging out with family, drinking wine, drinking bourbon, eating all that food, and to actually expect that I would be able to put out and record a pod on Thursday so or Thursday night to be ready for Friday. So this is this is your, all right, came up, visited the family, and now I'm driving home. Got a long travel ahead of me while I'm getting back this weekend. You know, a lot of people do the Wednesday and Friday traveling on Thanksgiving. You know, they always say it's like the busiest travel day of the year. Uh, this is... I think a lot of people actually, if you can, you take that Friday off, you spend a little time. So this is for for you guys, the people who are fortunate enough to spend a little extra time with family, got that Friday off uh, and aren't traveling till the weekend. So uh, it will be a fun pod. It's just me. I'm, I'm currently recording in my parents' office, so it's going to be a little echoey. doesn't quite have the same uh, crisp sound you're accustomed to hearing here on the read option, but uh, we're going to we're going to keep it rolling anyway. Uh, Scotty, Vito, those guys did great Thanksgivings, happy weddings all around to the, uh, the San Vito family. Congratulations to Vito's sister. And, uh, and again, I hope everyone just had a really great holiday. Thanksgiving is, is one of those holidays that, you know, pound for pound, it's up there. You know, maybe when you're a kid, you don't see the value in it, right? Because there's no presents like on Christmas. There's no, there's no candy like on Halloween, you know, it's pie. Like when I was a kid, I didn't even like pie. You know, something weird about it. I just, I was like, give me the cake, give me the brownies, you know, give me all that stuff. And then you get older and start to drink a little bit. Obviously, if you're into football, you get football all day. And not only do we have football, NFL football, we have the Egg Bowl on Thanksgiving night, which is one of the most hilarious and arguably the most intense rivalry, at least the rivalry, rivalry with the most hatred like genuine hatred in it in all of sports and egg bowl, Mississippi, Mississippi state, that game has had multiple times now where games are won and lost. Both coaching staffs were fired inevitably because one player decided to pretend to take a pee on the field, like a dog, which is just hilarious. It's objectively hilarious. So the older you get, Thanksgiving just becomes a better and better holiday. You get to see family, you're drinking, you're eating great food. Uh, you have your stuffing or your dressing if you don't like to stuff the turkey. And this might be a hot take, but honestly, I kind of prefer it stuffed. There's something about getting all the, the turkey juice in that just is, mm, makes it special. You smother everything in gravy. Uh, you know, I think, I, and I think everybody too, I, the cool thing about Thanksgiving is that everyone has a favorite. And I'm not one of those people who's like, man, if you like, oh, this dish sucks, whatever. It's like, look, man, you like what you like. All right. You like cranberry sauce? Go for it. It's not my cup of tea. But if you like it, knock yourself out, especially if you like it in the can. A lot of people prefer it in the can. That stuff's not going to touch my plate. But do you? Do you, boo? 
you know, like just have fun with it. For me, had some of the green bean casserole with like the fried onions on top. Like, oh my God, that was unbelievable. The whole, the whole thing was great. And uh, it was funny. I was going, I was sitting around with my family. We were having coffee this morning and we trying to talk. I was like, when was the last time I was able to go home for, for Thanksgiving? And honestly, it had been since I was in college. So to get the opportunity to come back to be around my mom, who just had surgery and is recovering and being an absolute fucking champ, uh, to see my, my dad, my, my sister, my brother-in-law, and uh, I'm going to get a chance to see some, some old high school friends tonight. It's just a fun time of year. It really is. And if you're lucky enough to get good weather like we had yesterday, it's, uh, it's one of the best holidays out there. So I do hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And by the way, if you're listening to this and you have leftovers, be responsible, okay? Load that shit onto a sandwich. Go to the grocery store. Find a nice loaf of Italian bread, right? A nice loaf, maybe like a, like a, like a baguette, even if you want to do like sliders or something small. But get a good, high-quality, maybe a Kaiser roll. Get something good, high-quality bread. Load all that up there. And then when you're done, you put a little, you get a little stuffing on there, you get a little turkey, maybe some casserole. You just get a little mix and mismatch of everything. But you need sturdy bread because the thing that makes a Thanksgiving sandwich, especially if you're like me and you don't like cranberry sauce. And so I don't like putting cranberry on it. You, you douse the thing in gravy. You just, you cover the thing in gravy. You let everything all, because otherwise it's going to be too dry. You let it all work together. Make sure you toast that bad boy up too. Ton. It's the best thing you'll have. Best thing you'll have. Do yourself a favor and uh, and get into that. Uh, but in addition to the food and everything else, we did have three NFL games. And look, I'm not going to sit here and say that the best part of Thanksgiving is the football because it's not. Year in and year out, we have to watch the Lions. And even when the Lions are competitive, Stafford and you know Calvin Johnson or whatever. The games are never good. I don't know why the Cowboys, because they're America's team, they get to be put on Thanksgiving. Like everyone, like it's literally the amount of tweets I saw yesterday that were like a yearly tradition of the Dallas Cowboys losing on Thanksgiving. Like nobody wants to watch the Cowboys on Thanksgiving unless you're a Cowboys fan. Nobody. They're the most universally disliked team in football. And and now that Tom Brady and and the Pats have their divorce, I, I think there was a time there where the Pats were probably the most hated, but now that we had this like kind of divorce between Tom and Bill and the Patriots and everything, it's like nobody likes the Cowboys unless you're a Cowboys fan. And yet we're, we're forced to sit there and watch them play on Thanksgiving. The Cowboys had 28 penalties yesterday. I mean, they lost to a Raiders team that was struggling. And now all of a sudden you look up and the Cowboys are seven and four. They've lost three out of the last four games. And I get it. Dak didn't have CeeDee Lamb. He didn't have Amari Cooper. He had a banged up Ezekiel Elliott, and he was missing one of his, his best offensive linemen, arguably, in Tyron Smith. And they still put up 33 points. And in classic Thanksgiving fashion, especially in my family, sports debates start to come out, right? We're, we're debating about, you know, where does Dak Prescott rank? And, and, you know, a couple of my family members, my cousin, you know, doesn't even have Dak in the top like 10. And then I start, and then you ask the question, well, who's ahead of him? You know, how many people can you actually name that you think are better than Dak? And look, there's inherent bias. I'm from Philly. I got Philly fans, right? And yeah, like diehard Philly fan. I said this to my mom last night when I got back. I was like, I don't think I could do local radio in Philly because I love Philly fans and I love the passion. And I love being one of them. 
Philly fans are, it's, it's like arguing with a boyfriend or a girlfriend that's just never wrong. Like no matter what happens, even though when they're clearly wrong, you can present every case, every fact, they're not wrong in their eyes. And it'll boil down to an opinion where it's like, well, I just don't think Dak's good. And then if they turn out to be right, because it's always easier to bet against players than to bet on them. When you talk about long-term, they come right back at you. I had a, I had a, a cousin yesterday. First thing he said to me, he and I had a debate about Ben Simmons, you know, two years ago at Thanksgiving. First thing he says to me, and he was hosting too, God bless. Him. And he just goes, so how about that Ben Simmons take, huh? It was two years ago. All right, now, again, I love Philly fans, but Philly fans are absolutely bonkers. Now, going, you know, focusing on the games here, because I realized this went down a diatribe. They all sucked. <laughs> Even the close game, the overtime game, the Raiders and the Cowboys. Raiders won in overtime. You had 28 penalties against the Dallas Cowboys, which – I've been saying this all year. For as talented as the Cowboys are, they're still being led by Mike McCarthy. And I don't think Mike McCarthy's like a terrible coach. He's obviously won a Super Bowl. He, he's won a lot of games as a head coach. He, not, he understands the sport, the job he's done, empowering Kellen Moore to be the play caller, to, to, to really open up this offense and use the weapons that they have, has been incredible. So credit where credit's due for Mike McCarthy. But the one criticism you have of Mike McCarthy year in, year out, it's the little things. It's the lack of discipline, the lack of accountability. And what happened to this Cowboys defense that was almost top 10 defense? I believe they were 12th overall in total defense. What happened to this team? I mean, the Raiders, they're moving the ball all over the place. And of course, like, again, you have all these defensive penalties. You have four defensive pass interferences against one guy like yeah you're, you're not going to be able to stop the you know, stop offense they're going to be able to move the ball they're going to be able to put up points but 36 points to the to the las vegas raiders after what they were that team was spiraling and even if you don't have amari cooper and cd land and you still have four-fifths of your offensive line together and you still have tony pollard to supplement the times where Zeke isn't 100%. You got Michael Gallup on the outside. You got Cedric Wilson, who's come on and been a great player. And this game didn't even feel as close as an overtime game. <laughs> the Raiders let them back into this game. I mean, it was 17-6 to six at one point, right before halftime. The Cowboys get that kick return for a touchdown by Tony Pollard. But other than that, you know, Dak was, was out here making great throws and giving his team a chance. And that's my argument for Dak being one of the best quarterbacks in football. He found a way to keep that team in it. And, and his teammates, the coaching staff, they let him down at the end of the day. Now, the Bears and the Lions, I don't know what the Lions do here. All right, the amount of times they fight and they're winning games and, and they're in the fourth quarter, and then the like, it's the fourth quarter, you're up. It was only one point, I get it. 
but you fight back in the third quarter. You take the lead 17 to 13. Jared Goff actually ends up starting this game when we all thought it was going to be Tim Boyle. Shout out to Tim Boyle I went to high school with. Every time I hear him talk about it, I just think about the kid I went to high school with named Tim Boyle. I just feel so bad for Lions fans. I mean, can you imagine if they finish the season 0-16-1? And what better chance are you going to get? You're going against Andy Dalton and the Bears on Thanksgiving. It's just brutal. And I feel for Dan Campbell, who I, I do believe is a good coach. When you get guys out there fighting their asses off, but they're at a significant talent disadvantage. But if you can't win this game, like what hope is there that you're going to end up pulling a game up this year? Minimal at best. And the Bears, I mean, it seems like their, their future is kind of set in stone here. Like Matt Nagy, all the reports he was going to get fired after the game. Uh, you know, the owner had to come down and talk to the team to tell them that those reports aren't true. I don't know if they were true or not. There's a lot of people tweeting about it. It didn't get the Schefter tweet, right? If, if Schefter tweeted it, then all right, then I'm in. But local reporters talking about, I mean, that, that seat is scalding hot. And from what we've seen in the glimpses of Justin Fields, Justin Fields has a chance to be a good quarterback. You just, you can't have Matt Nagy as his coach. And I'll say this, I actually like Andy Dalton, not as a quarterback, just as a person. I think Andy Dalton's a, a good dude. He's been a very productive quarterback in the NFL for a long time. I think he looks awesome in a Bears uniform with the red hair. Does anyone have more like or bright orange red hair than Andy Dalton? If someone knows somebody with that, right? It's kind of like the kid. This is going to be a really random reference, but the kid from Sweet Life is Cody. That kid had super orange hair. That's like Andy, 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 but his was like almost more red. Like Andy Dalton's hair is like bright orange. Like I'm looking out the window right now, looking at bright orange leaves in the trees. Like that's, that's Andy Dalton's hair. It looks great in the Bears. But the Bears, well, like I said, I think their, their fate has kind of been sealed here. And I don't really know what else, what else they can do now. The one game that actually has significance here, not to say that the Cowboys and Raiders isn't significant. I mean, the, the way the Eagles are playing, they're five and six. Cowboys are seven and four. Eagles win this game. They're at six and six. They're only a game and what, a game and a half behind the Cowboys. And they get to play each other again. Now, the Cowboys should be able to rattle off some wins because they're going to be playing the Giants and, and the Washington football team. They have another game against the Eagles that they could win, but that's week 18. So you would think, especially with the injury patterns that we've seen here from the Cowboys all season, that if they're in a week 18 against Philly and they've already won the division, you're going to get back up. So the Eagles are probably actually hoping that the Cowboys run away with the division. They find a way to clinch it. But now all of a sudden, Eagles could be six and six. Two, what, two games, two and a half games. I, I'm so bad at figuring that out. But Cowboys at seven to four, Eagles at six and six. That 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 game, that that difference, all of a sudden is a lot closer than people realize. And the Eagles also get a bye week uh, in week 14. So the Eagles pull off a couple wins here. They're going up against the Giants. Washington football team's also in the same boat. So there is some significance there. The Raiders. I mean, the AFC West is now super competitive again, which I don't really think anybody saw. Coming, I, not, I didn't think the Raiders had, had another win like this in them. 
Now, I, I don't think the Raiders are legitimate contenders here for the rest of the way. But, you know, we'll kind of see how that ends up turning out. But now that the, the Raiders won, I mean, they're a game ahead of the, of, uh, the Broncos. The Chargers are six and four. The Chargers lose. All of a sudden, we got a tie there for second. And Kansas City's only at seven and four. Kansas City loses their seven and five. And now we're talking about the Las Vegas Raiders immediately back in the conversation for the AFC West. But the game that had the most impact on standings in terms of just teams that you're, you're looking at, like, like we've coming into the year, so many people were high on the Buffalo Bills. And for Buffalo to win that game, go seven and four, knowing that the Patriots are playing a Titans team, even without Derrick Henry, that game could be massive. And the Saints defense is good. Now it's two weeks in a row that they gave up, you know, they gave up 40 to the Eagles and they gave up 33 to the Bills last night or 31 to the Bills last night. But Josh Allen looked like he actually kind of had a little bit of that mojo back. The problem with Josh Allen and Buffalo right now is there is a clear regression from Josh Allen. Yes, he threw three touchdown passes, but I just had two interceptions. One of them was an unbelievable play by Quan Alexander, but the other one was just a bad throw. He's getting a little too gunslinger-ish. The thing with gunslingers is when you make a lot of bets on yourself and you're willing to chuck it around, there's going to be stretches where the luck and the tips and the bounces, all that kind of works in your favor. And that's what I think we saw last year was the offense was there. There was an extra amount of confidence and he just, they kind of got lucky on a lot of certain tips, a lot of certain things like there is, Oh, you can never discount the role that luck plays in NFL games. And not to say that you can't create your own luck or that you can't do certain things, but it's clear that Josh Allen has, has regressed. The statistics map it out like very clearly. And so for Josh Allen and the Saint and the Buffalo Bills to beat New Orleans, Thursday night football, I thought Mike Tirico and Drew Brees were awesome on the call. I've really enjoyed them doing the Notre Dame games this year. But whenever Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels step aside, like that's going to be your Sunday night booth for a long time. And Say what you will about Drew Brees. I, I, I was really impressed. I thought they did a fantastic job calling that game. Uh, and now the Saints, and this is, again, why that this was so important, right? Because if we look at the playoff standings in the NFC, the Saints, before last night, were in the playoffs. They lose. They're now 5-6. and six. The Eagles go from being 10th in the playoff rankings, up to eight, one spot out. The Eagles are five and six right now. The three wild card teams ahead of them are the Rams at seven and three, the Vikings at five and five, and the Niners at five and five. San Francisco and Minnesota play each other this week. So guaranteed one of those teams is going to be five and six after this week. And if the Eagles win, they're six and six. I think think they would jump up now the only thing that would go against the eagles would be the record in conference games but since the eagles could potentially have a win against the giants this week i believe the eagles would be above 500 and would have a legitimate chance to leapfrog one of those teams five and six six and six Oh, yeah, record alone, the Eagles would jump up. So, Eagles win, 
they're in the playoff picture. They're one of the wild card teams. So that's why that Saints loss was so big because it does shift the dynamic. And I think we knew the Saints inevitably would start to tail off, right? They won, uh, they, they were competitive in a couple of games. And obviously they beat Tom Brady without Jameis when the game that Jameis got hurt. But now we're talking about, all right, kind of like when you have an interim head coach and they're like, that magic's just going to wear off eventually. You know, you can only keep it for so long. It's not a sustainable model. And the fact that Taysom Hill is like not really even getting any reps considering the contract that they gave them, they just have Taysom Hill on the sideline or used as a decoy half the time. I mean, uh, look, I'm not going to sit here and question a guy like Sean Payton, who is one of the most respected football minds in the world. But that was a questionable call because now it's, it's been two weeks in a row where it's, it's like 95% of the time it's Trevor Simeon. And I'm not sitting here saying Taysom Hill is some awesome quarterback, but he at least gives you a chance, you know. It, uh, it was weird. It was weird. Um, those are the Thanksgiving games. Again, none of the games were really super entertaining or compelling. Uh, and next year, like, like we have the, the Packers and the Rams playing this weekend. Let's, let's make one of those games on Thanksgiving. And I get it. Like, going into the season – Buffalo, New Orleans sounded like it was going to be a really good game. But can't we can we do something? You know, isn't there something we can do to, to just load up those games, really make Thanksgiving feel special? And if you have to put the lines in one of the three games, all right, fine, do that. Whatever, I get it. History, tradition, stupid. But just once I don't want to see the freaking Cowboys on Thursday. I just I, – I hate watching them on Thanksgiving. Unless they lose, and that's awesome. And that's awesome. Uh, the other thing I want to get into here before we do our picks and uh, and get into some of the college stuff too, because we have a uh, rivalry week in college football uh, and some really awesome matchups. College football playoff rankings came out, and on Tuesday's pod, I went through and predicted what I thought was going to be the college football playoff rankings. I had Georgia at number one, Ohio State number two, Alabama number three, Cincinnati at number four. Michigan number five and Notre Dame at notice at number six. And that is what the top six was. And I think for the first time this year, the committee absolutely nailed the top 25 for the college football playoff rankings. What's interesting here, obviously for the first time we have a group of five team in the top four of the college football playoff. That Oregon loss, they go all the way down to 11 Michigan state after getting pounded by Ohio State drops all the way down to 12. Both of them drop eight spots. But now we have Michigan at number five, Ohio State at number two. They play this weekend. One of those teams will be out. Probably is going to be Michigan, but we'll see. But then you get to number seven, and that's where Oklahoma State is right now. Now, in the history of the college football playoff, there's been zero teams ranked lower than seven that has made the college football playoff, which is why it's interesting that Oklahoma is at 10. Now, I get it. Oklahoma won a tight game against Iowa State, which they didn't look great in. But the defense actually played pretty well and shut down one of the best running backs in college football in Brees Hall. But they jump up three spots from 13 to 10. If Oklahoma beats Oklahoma State this weekend, Bedlam, Saturday night. It's going to be an unbelievable atmosphere. 
Oklahoma will jump up to probably where Oklahoma State is right now, number seven. Notre Dame's playing Stanford. They should win that game handily. Well, actually, too, because you're on Ohio State, Michigan. Depending on how the outcome of the Ohio State-Michigan game, right? If Michigan somehow wins and it's a close game, I would expect Ohio State to still be ranked ahead of Oklahoma. But then that's going to set up a Big 12 championship where it's Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State in the Big 12 championship. If Oklahoma State wins, then Oklahoma State's going to play Baylor in the Big 12 championship. And Baylor's ranked at number eight. Now, Baylor with two losses, they're not going to make the college football playoff. But for the ultimate chaos situation to happen, Oklahoma State beats Oklahoma this weekend. Oklahoma has two losses. They're out. Oklahoma State then plays Baylor in the Big 12 championship, and Baylor beats Oklahoma State. Then the Big 12 will not have a team in the college football playoff. Cincinnati at number four is sitting in a really good spot because Georgia and Alabama still have to play. Now, if Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, which is two weeks from now, not this weekend, the following weekend. If Oklahoma State beats Georgia, or sorry, if Alabama beats Georgia, both of them are going to make the playoff, as they should, by the way. Don't be mad. It's two SEC teams. They're two of the four best teams in college football. They both would have deserved to to make the college football playoff. But if Alabama loses to Georgia, there's still a world world where Alabama makes the college football playoff. But because Cincinnati beat Notre Dame, and Notre Dame is now up to number six, and they beat them at Notre Dame, the committee really, really is going to have a hard time justifying leapfrogging Cincinnati over Notre Dame, assuming that Cincinnati beats ECU on Friday night and then beats a Houston team who's currently ranked 24 in the college football playoff ranking, which will give them two top 25 wins against the team number 24 in the college football playoff rankings and against the number six team in Notre Dame. They'd finish 13-0. and They would have to be in. So hypothetically, Georgia beats Bama. They're 13-0 and SEC champs. Ohio State beats Michigan. They beat Wisconsin probably in the Big Ten Championship. Ohio State's at number two. Then you're going to have Cincinnati, Notre Dame, potentially Oklahoma State if they went out, and then Alabama with two losses. Now, if it's an overtime game and Georgia wins on on a last-second field goal, don't be shocked if the committee somehow finds a way to keep Alabama in, but only if the Big 12 champ has two losses. That's the only way Alabama gets in with two losses. If Alabama loses to Georgia in the SEC championship game, and it's a close game, and Oklahoma State loses to Baylor in the the Big 12 championship game. So you have a two-loss Big 12 champ versus a two-loss SEC team in Alabama that lost in the SEC championship game. Alabama will get in ahead of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, whichever one of those, or Baylor even, any of those teams if they're a two-loss Big 12. All of this is saying that if Cincinnati handles their business and wins out, they're making the college football playoff. And if they don't, the committee is going to have riots on their hand. Like legit, like the college football will 
implode. Because it's not enough to just put them at four one week. If they went out, handle their business, Cincinnati could be ranked as high as number three. Because again, if Alabama loses, naturally Cincinnati move up a spot anyway. Then we could see like Notre Dame even sneak in there, which I think at 11-1, I think it's very doubtful. And again, they would need Alabama to lose. They would need a two-loss Big 12 champion. But Oklahoma State is, I think, the biggest wild card in all of this. Because if they run the table, finish at 12-1 and with a Big 12 championship, beating number 10 Oklahoma this week, and then a top 10 team in Baylor the following week in the Big 12 championship, that's two top 10 wins in the last two weeks of the season. The nightmare scenario for Cincinnati is Alabama beats Georgia. Ohio State runs through the rest of the Big 12, Big 10, and Oklahoma State runs through, in which case I wouldn't like it, but Oklahoma State's resume would justify them being put ahead of Cincinnati. They would have beaten Baylor when they were ranked earlier in the season. They would have then beaten them again as a top 10 team in the Big 12 championship, and they would have beaten Oklahoma in Bedlam on Saturday night. That's three top 25 wins, two top 10 wins in the last two weeks of the season. And we'll get into that game during the picks because there's actually, I think it's a really fascinating breakdown between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. But that's the two scenarios here. And anyone who knows this pod knows that I've been team Cincinnati all year getting them in the playoff. And so the best thing that can happen for Cincinnati is Georgia beating Alabama in the SEC championship game. Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, both ending up with two losses. That happens, no question. And, of course, Cincinnati has to handle the business. Don't sleep on those ECU Pirates, the Mike Houston-led ECU Pirates. Seven and four. They're probably going to get the doors blown off, but don't sleep on them. That's all I'm saying. All right, quick break, come back, NFL picks preview, college picks preview, and uh, we'll get you on your weekend. NFL week 12. Three games already done. We said Bears, Lions, Raiders, Cowboys, Bills, Saints, all done. But that doesn't mean that there's not a great slate of games this weekend. Now, it's going to be less games than we're used to. We're going to kind of hit that point. But man, where, where are all these games at? Uh, they already happened. Three of them did, at least. So, I believe we have, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 games. 11 of which on Sunday plus a Monday night game. This is one of the tightest game uh, weeks in the schedule in terms of, you know, spread, right? The, the biggest spread we have is Tennessee at New England, which is pretty surprising. New England's a seven-point favorite there. But other than that, everything is like one-score spreads. So if you're right, it's an opportunity to make a lot of money. But you don't have that safety blanket of like, oh, but there's it's, it's 13-point spread. Double-digit spread. You know, you kind of have to be a little aggressive here if you're going to bet and, and really be confident in the teams that you're picking here. Um, to go through last week, so I ended up going five and nine on the week. Not a great week for your boy. Uh, Scotty 
send me his picks beforehand. I can vouch. Uh, he went six and seven. He sent me them on Sunday morning and had Patriots and then in parentheses, obviously. And I was like, dude, it's three days after that game. So <laughs> like, I can't give you that. You know, if you text me on Thursday when I asked you, I would have given it to you, but you didn't. So he's not getting credit for that one. And Scotty now is uh, six and seven on the weekend NFL games. And uh, yeah, five and nine for me. Wasn't, wasn't my best week, but I made up for it with a four and one week in college football. So uh, one of my best weeks here in college football. And um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. We'll see if we can keep this train rolling. Um, updated totals overall. Scotty, 25 and 32 in college football. Vito hasn't picked in three weeks. He's 30 and 12. And I'm 35 and 32 in college football. Scotty in the NFL, 74, 74 and 73. Uh, Vito is 51 and 52. And I dropped down a little bit. I went from being two games above 500. Now I'm 80 and 82, uh, leaving us to our overall record. Scotty is 99, 105 and 1. Vito is 81, 64 and 1. But again, he has not picked in almost a month by the next time we get him to pick. Uh, and I am 115, 114, and 1. So with that being said, let's dive in. Uh, 1 o'clock games. Starting off, AFC North, Pittsburgh at Cincinnati. Uh, Big Ben, since being put on COVID, is seven touchdowns to zero interceptions. He's looked pretty good, I'm not going to lie. But I'm not trusting him. I can't trust an almost 40-year-old Big Ben. The, how banged up that guy's body is, you know, I, I get it. He's, I think he's, he's developed enough chemistry with the team, but like, you know, Deontay Johnson's a great player. Chase Claypool been very underwhelming this year. The big key here. And I think what's really helped open up this offense has been the rookie tight end, Pat Fryermuth. And we all know like when big Ben, the Steelers were at their best, he had that, he had that man, Heath Miller, right? Heath Miller was a great, great tight end for so many years. And since then, they've kind of been looking for the next guy to fill in. Now, Fryermuth is not – he can block. He's not quite like a Mike Gesicki who, like, doesn't block at all. He's basically just a wide receiver or like Darren Waller who they don't use in, in the blocking game. They split him out wide almost every single play. But he's also not like Gronk, you know, or like Heath Miller who they used in the running game a lot. He's kind of that, like – in between, like, he's really, really good receiver. He's more of a receiving option. And there's definitely some chemistry that's been developed a bit there between Big Ben and Frymuth. And I think having that intermediate option, kind of a safety blanket, right? They, they call tight end safety blankets all the time in football, but it, it really is helpful for quarterbacks. And Cincinnati's coming off of a big win against the Raiders. I don't know where to, where to put these two right now. You know, because I... I think this – so the spread right now is at four. It's minus four for Cincinnati. And I get to home game, so neutral field, we're talking about like a one-point spread. That feels like too many points for Cincinnati. Because as much as I like Joe Burrow and Cincinnati, we, we saw them lose to the Jets. We've seen them get stomped out by the Browns. We've seen really bad showings from them. Now, the bye week definitely seemed to help them. And they looked great last week. But Pittsburgh's defense, I believe they're getting T.J. Watt back this week. I think Micah Fitzpatrick should be back this week as well. It's a huge game for Joe Burrow, right? Because if you're the Bengals, you're 6-4. and four, You are 
very much in the playoff hunt right now, especially in the AFC. And for them to make the playoffs in his second year would be really impressive given where that organization was when Joe Burrow got drafted. And I think that speaks volumes of, of the leader, the presence, and the kind of guy and quarterback that Joe Burrow is. He doesn't have the most crazy arm in the world. He can make the majority of the throws. There's certain you know power throws that he just doesn't have. But he beats it with smarts, with finesse, with playmaking, uh, and with incredible touch. His ability to, to layer balls down the field is, is really elite at a young age. So do you take the proven veteran, the guy who's been around forever, who seemingly has some things going here, and especially with Najee Harris, are going up against not a great run defensive team in the Bengals. Or, and not to mention the Pittsburgh defense going up against a, a, just a, a bottom third offensive line. They, they should be able to attack Joe Burrow pretty, pretty aggressively. And Big Ben has done really well in Cincinnati in his career. So I'm going to take the Steelers here. You're getting four points. I know it's on the road, but it's Pittsburgh to Cincinnati, right? We're talking about like a two-hour bus ride. It's like a little like a 20-minute flight. <laughs> so I don't know how they're getting there. Probably by bus or train or something. Planes, trains, automobiles, all that good stuff. Give me Pittsburgh. Uh, Tampa Bay at Indianapolis. Now the the Colts have been the trendy the trendy team lately, right? Everyone's talking about Jonathan Taylor. People, oh Carson Wentz. Like how much better he's protecting the football. Frank Reich, unbelievable. To Frank Reich be coach of the year, this team started out 0 and 3, and now all of a sudden they've gone on this run. And you look down, the Colts are six and five. They're in the thick of it for a wild card spot. Tennessee's starting to come down. I don't think the Colts are as good as people making them out to be. All right. Their offensive line is, is good, and Jonathan Taylor's is good. But they've also been running the ball against bad defensive lines, bad rushing defenses. Now, Buffalo was the shocker. Buffalo was the one where you're like, wow, they did that against Buffalo's defense, which going into that game was like the number one defense in all of football. But they're also a better pass defensive team. They also have an ability to get after the quarterback and rush the passer. And Indianapolis is like, no, we're just going to give the ball to Jonathan Taylor over and over and over again. And Jonathan Taylor had a monster day and five touchdowns. But sometimes in football, you just have those games inexplicably you just have those games they just get away from you right and even though the score is huge and we always want to make a big deal out of it to me that's one of those games it's one of those games where you just chalk it up and go i i I don't even know what happened i've heard players say this all the time right It, it just it's something that happens in nfl games where for whatever reason the team just is that much better than you on that day but are the colts really that much better of a football team than the bills no in fact, I still kind of think the Bills are a better football team. Josh Allen's a better quarterback. Obviously, the Colts would win at the running back position. Wide receivers are better for Buffalo. Offensive line, when healthy, is a push. Quentin Nelson is the best offensive lineman on both teams, so give that, that at least to the Colts. And you look at the defense. Bills have better defensive line. Linebackers, kind of a push. Darius Leonard is obviously a better individual player, but the whole linebacking group for Buffalo is better. And the secondary, Buffalo is way better. But sometimes, even at home, you just get these weird games where 
just one team flat out dominates. And I think that's what we saw. So I'm not buying into this Indianapolis Colts are a really good football team. They're really coming on. I just, I, they're, that's not what they are. Carson Wentz is okay. Right? He's okay. Like, look, like, like look at the games the Colts won. Okay? The Bills win. Huge win. Great. At the Dolphins. Right? This was just going back a few weeks. At the Dolphins. They, lose, they won 27 to 17. Then they lose to the Ravens. I believe. I think that was a night game. Then they beat the crap out of the Texans. Whatever. The Niners, when the Niners were like flummoxed and half their team was injured, they beat 30 to 18. Then they lose to the Titans. Then they beat the crap out of the Jets on that Thursday night game. And then they barely beat the Jaguars the week before Buffalo. And they let the Jaguars back in that game. Trevor Lawrence had the ball and was charging down the field. And that's a Jaguars team that has no skill guys. None. That scare you. And then, yeah, the impressive win against Buffalo. But are you looking at that and going like, oh, shit, yeah, like, Colts have a lot of impressive wins on this resume. No, they don't. They lost to the Seahawks, bad football team. Lost to the Rams, who like, I don't even know. Are the Rams good? I don't know. Lost to the Titans twice. Lost to the Ravens. And yes, they won three straight. But their wins are Miami, Houston, San Francisco, the Jets, and the Jaguars, and then last week against the Bills. Let's pump the brakes on this Colts thing. And guess who they're playing, by the way? The Tampa Bay fucking Buccaneers. Tampa Bay is a three-point favorite on the road. Tom Brady has been lights out in his career in Indianapolis. He hates the Colts. He might hate the Colts as much as any team because his rival wasn't in, when he was in New England, wasn't in his division. The Jets stunk, the Bills stunk, and the Dolphins stunk for the majority of his time there. You'd have some teams, obviously the Rex Ryan Jets, right, who kind of pop up and Chad Pennington was on Miami and Jet. Like, there were a couple of teams there that were frisky. But for the majority of the time, they stunk. So who was his rival? It was Peyton. It was the Colts. It was Andrew Luck even when he was there. Tom Brady wants to beat the crap out of the Colts. And if Vita Vey ends up playing, who is arguably the best run stuffer in all of football, I'm telling you right now, uh, Levante David, Devin White, they're going to make Carson Wentz beat them. And if you're going to ask Carson Wentz to throw the ball 30 times in a game because they're stacking eight guys in the box and you cannot run the ball with, John, with Jonathan Taylor, that's a loss. So take Tampa Bay. Because we all did the same thing we did last year. Tampa Bay loses two in a row. They lost to the Washington football team. Oh, man, this Bucs team's not legit. No, they're legit. They look great on Monday night against the Giants. And they're going to, I seriously think they're going to kick the crap out of the Colts. So take Tampa Bay. It's three points. I, I don't think it's going to be close. I think it's at least a touchdown, if not more. Uh, Carolina at Miami. This is a, a weird game, right? Because a lot of people early on were like, ooh, Miami, right? Like Miami's won a few in a row. They're, they're heating up. They beat the Ravens, three game win streak. All of a sudden, the Dolphins went from being one and seven to four and seven. Not in the playoff mix, but could they be 500? Could they get back up to that middle tier? And then the Panthers, you know, all this excitement, they beat the crap out of Arizona without Kyler. And then they come out and 
despite playing competitively against Washington last week, end up losing that game. Carolina is a two-point favorite. And I've seen a lot of people, a lot of the public, is big on Miami this week. And one of the number one rules in game, fade the public. And if a lot of people like Miami, take Carolina. I don't know why that is. Just is. It's, it's been proven for 50 years in game. In, in game. It's what? Fade the public. All right? I don't believe in Miami. I don't. The Panthers' defense is pretty good. They still got guys up front. Miami's not going to be able to run the ball. Everything's going to fall on Tua. If Carolina is able to generate pressure, which they should against a very mediocre Miami Dolphins offensive line, Carolina should be able to, to make some noise. And then on the other side of the ball, you just have the superior athlete at quarterback. Cam Newton's going to continue to get better and better as he's getting used to it, getting back into the rhythm of it. You know, it's clear that he has some decent relationships here between uh, Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. And, and Joe Brady's trying to scheme things up. And, and I was listening to Mina Kimes' podcast, and, and she was talking about how frustrating he is watching Carolina Panthers tape because there's so many wide open wide receivers that Sam Darnold was just missing. And now they're going to run a slightly different offense for Cam. They're going to, you know, do things that are a little more centered around Cam. But I love Joe Brady still. And I think there's going to be a lot of people who kind of come off of Joe Brady a little bit. But I think there's enough people in the NFL who, who know, like, if you watch this, like, their guys schemed wide open all over the place. And I think that's points to really good things for what Cam Newton can do. And by the way, who's going to be the best player on the field? Both sides of the ball. Christian McCaffrey, who has looked great since coming back. Only two points, even if it's a field goal game, I feel good about it. Take Carolina. I took Carolina last week and it killed me, but they can't lose the Dolphins. Uh, Tennessee at New England. And we talked a little bit about this game. We we're talking about the spread there earlier. Tennessee, no Derrick Henry, and they're floundering a little bit. These are two teams going in very opposite directions, right? Everybody and their sisters talking about how great the Patriots are. Are they Super Bowl contenders? And I talked about it on Tuesday. I do think the New England Patriots are a really, really good football team. I see the parallels between he and Tom Brady and between that two, not necessarily Mac Jones and Tom Brady, but like the 2001 Patriots who beat the Rams and this team. But I also think like the Patriots have rolled off like six straight wins. And Tennessee has a history of really like putting it to New England in the last couple of years. Remember, they knocked the, the last game Tom Brady played as a Patriot was against Tennessee in the playoffs. They end up waving Adrian Peterson. They're going to have to get some of those younger running backs in there. I don't know how they're going to move the ball. Doesn't look like we're going to see Julio Jones again. He's still on IR. And we may not even see A.J. Brown. So how in the world is Tennessee going to move the football? I don't know. I really don't. It's going to fall a lot on, on Ryan Tannehill. Seven points is a pretty big spread. And the way that New England's been just eating people alive, it makes me want to take New England. But the one thing we've seen over and over and over again in the NFL, this, especially this year, is that there is no logic to this shit, right? Like, I'm out here pontificating and 
giving my two cents and throwing out my and like my notes and what I see and and all that. And like, do I know at the end of the day what the hell's gonna happen? No, of course not. I can try my best. I can try to figure it out. I can give my picks. I can do this my whole spiel and the dog and pony show, but it's a crapshoot. It's been a crapshoot all year. And I don't know why. And I'm going to regret it when I watch the Patriots probably beat the crap out of Tennessee on Sunday, but I'm going to take Tennessee. Mike Vrabel is an awesome coach when his team's backed up into a corner. When they're the underdogs, when they are the guys who have the world against them and nobody believes in them, Mike Vrabel gets the best out of those guys. And by the way, they just lost the fucking Texans. <laughs> How do you lose to the Texans? And then not come out the next week with your hair on fire. I get it's a defleeting loss, but they're still the number one team in the AFC. They're eight and three. And if New England wins, then all of a sudden they're eight and four. Tennessee's eight and four. New England becomes one of the top ranked teams, teams in the AF in the AFC, right? Right now, New England is five because Buffalo is seven and four. If New England wins, and you'd have Baltimore up there as well, if Baltimore wins on Sunday night, and Kansas City could be there as well, you'd have all four teams, Tennessee, Baltimore, New England, and Kansas City at eight and four. Now, I don't know how the tiebreakers would work out, but essentially that's saying that New England could easily finish the season as the number one seed especially with the wins over Buffalo, who they do have to play twice. But I'm going to take Tennessee. And that's a dumb thing. I'm, I'm telling you it's dumb now. It's just one of those guts. And it's one of those gut checks. It's one of the, the feelings, you know. Of course, now that I say that, I'm thinking, man, but Belichick has lost to Tennessee in the past. He's always going to he's going to want revenge. It's just a cover. Maybe it ends up being a close game and New England still wins, but seven points is the most points that we have on the board. Take them. Uh, Atlanta at Jacksonville. Now, this game was – the spread in particular was interesting to me. The game I have no real interest in. But Atlanta is only a two-point favorite. And I get they're on the road, but we're not talking about cross-country. We've gone from Atlanta to Jacksonville. What, like an hour-and-a-half flight maybe? Um, this line's way too low. Like, I get the Falcons haven't been great, but they were in the playoffs like a week ago. Like, they were in the hunt. Technically, they still kind of are in the hunt. They're four and six. Meanwhile, the Jags, I mean, yeah, they have the win against Buffalo where they kind of played out of their minds and they beat Miami over in London, but the Jags have just been a bad football team. And I'm very curious to see if Urban Myers up lasting down the road and I hope he doesn't because I think he's going to ruin Trevor Lawrence so to me I, I just I don't know I mean I, the, the, the Falcons got the crap kicked out of them last Thursday night against New England we haven't seen them since they get the mini buy they get Thanksgiving break Matt Ryan gets time to get healthy still not sure if Calvin Ridley's coming back anytime soon I don't know. Two points just seems way, way too low. I'm going to take Atlanta here. I think this is, this is like honestly one of my favorite bets of the week. I mean, Jacksonville. Jacksonville's only getting two points against the Falcons. 
don't know. That just seems weird. Uh, Jets, Texans, shit bowl. Houston's a two and a half point favorite. I don't care. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to be a dick about it. I just, I don't fucking care. This game is going to be so unwatchable. It's insane. It's one thing when the Jag, when the Jags and the Texans play, right? Because they're they're in the same division, so they have to play twice a year. Having the Jets and the Texans play just seems unfair to the viewing public. But hey, at least they didn't put this game on Thursday <laughs> on Thanksgiving. Uh, give me the Texans. I don't know. Maybe they keep the momentum up after beating Tennessee last week. I mean, I think both teams are bad. They're both two and eight. Tarod versus, I guess, Joe Flacco. I think Zach Wilson is still being held out. So, yeah, I'll take Houston. The defense played well against Tennessee. So, give me Houston. Um, Philly and the Giants. Philly's a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road here. The Giants kind of uh, reeling right now. They fired Jason Garrett, which was a terrible decision to start with. Uh, I'm standing pat on my, I don't believe in Joe judge. I didn't believe in him when they hired, I thought all the training camp, making the coaches run, all that stuff was gimmicky and stupid. And I thought it would backfire and implode on this team. Uh, The only thing that I might, part of the reason why I might lean New York here to cover, or maybe even pull off the upset is Michael Strahan is getting his like number retired at halftime ceremony kind of thing. But if you're the Eagles, man, you want to, I mean, Strahan was a monster in that division for so long. And he used to have these battles against John Runyon on the right side. It was, you know, John Runyon was the right tackle. And those were like prime Andy Reid versus Tom Coughlin era stuff. Like that was just great, fun football to watch and uh, to kind of be a part of as a fan. The Eagles look like they have something going. And... Jordan Howard's not going to be in this game, but they get Miles Sanders back. Miles Sanders ran for 94 yards last week against New Orleans, who's the number one rushing defense in the league. If the Giants somehow find a way to completely sell out against the run game, maybe they can slow down a little bit, but Jalen Hurts is, is doing some special stuff running the football. He's so good running the read option, and, and he, he's, he's making linebackers – look like they've never played football before. Like, they have no idea what to do. And credit to Nick Sirianni and and that offensive staff for coming up with really creative ways to let Jalen Hurts kind of do his thing. And the other thing that I'm really confident about here with with Hurts is, you know, they're not asking him to throw a ton, but when when they are, because he's not throwing it 35 times a game, he's not going back to his old tendencies where it's like, oh, I'm going to run out of the pocket and scramble and try to make a play even though there's a pocket there for him to sit in. When he's dropping back, like in that Saints game, he's sitting in the pocket because they're only asking him to do it 10, 15 times a game or like 20 times or whatever. But like some of those are designed rollouts and some of those are scramble plays. But the amount of times, if you're seeing like, hey, he's going to throw it 20 times and 12 of them, he's sitting in the pocket, complete or incomplete, that's really good for his development. And the rest of the time you're letting him go out and run and use his legs. I mean, what he's, again, some of the numbers and everybody's obsessing over the, you know, the Jalen Hurts stats versus the, uh, the, the, the Lamar Jackson stats. I'm going to see if I can find the, the total yards here over, um, over things, but he's just been awesome in the red zone. 
I, he is becoming a real weapon. Like a, like a really, really scary weapon. And at this point, I don't want to bet against the dude. Now, I'm, I'm still waiting after knowing him for as much as I have and following his career for as long as I have. I'm waiting for the other shooter drop. I'm waiting for the other version. The, the, it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? Dr. Jekyll, Dr. Jalen, and Mr. Hertz. <laughs> like, that's how I feel like watching, watching him play because that other side of Jalen has always come out. It came out in Alabama in big games. It came out at Oklahoma in big games. So what version do we see? Or is this really, you know, a, a, a new and improved version of Jalen that we didn't know if we were ever going to see? So in his first, team, first 15 career starts, Lamar Jackson, 4,120 yards of total offense, 26 touchdowns, 12 turnovers, 213 first downs. Jalen Hurts' first 15 starts, 4,115 total yards of offense, only five less than Lamar, 29 touchdowns, three more than Lamar, 11 turnovers, one less turnover than Lamar, and 209 first downs, four less first downs than, than Lamar. But there are things here with, with, with Jalen Hurts that resemble Lamar Jackson. And if you're the Eagles, you bet on him now. He's done enough. And if he finds a way to lead you into the playoffs, you cannot trade for a quarterback. And Howie Roseman has gotten all this good grace, right? He, he's we, Philly fans are ready to murder Howie Rosen, myself included. And now he's made some decisions. You got the three first round draft picks. Well, he did the Devontae Smith trade, fleeced the Giants, got ahead of the Giants, drafted the guy they wanted. They've done enough. He's done enough to make people, the Jordan Howard's like he's, he's made all these little decisions. The guys, the, the four guys that have signed extensions here for the Eagles this year Jordan Mailata, Josh Sweat, Avante Maddox, Dallas Goddard. All four are homegrown guys and they're locked up for the long term. Howie gets a lot of credit for that. But what, what would be the most Howie Roseman move of all time is to do this, build back all this good grace with Eagles fans, and then trade the three draft picks for fucking like Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or somebody when the team around him is not ready. And I hope that they don't do that. Not to say that I wouldn't love having Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers on the team. But I like Jalen Hurts. I want to see this team continue to build with a young quarterback. We don't need to be the fucking quarterback factory anymore. You have a high-quality backup in Gardner Minshew. You still got him for this year and next year. You have Jalen Hurts. Let Jalen Hurts do his thing. And the biggest, the biggest thing about Jalen Hurts, the number one attribute, is the way the team responds to him. Everybody in that locker room looks up to him. And not just like young guys like Goddard or Devontae Smith, like veterans. Jason Kelsey said earlier this week, when that man talks, we listen. Jason Kelsey's been in the league for over a decade. Jalen Hurts is like 25. When he talks, they listen. I read a story this week that he has met with every single offensive player one-on-one -on -one for dinner this season. 
everyone, starters, backups, everybody. They said they don't even talk about football. Talks about life, talks about his family, his upbringing, his college, his, his experiences, his faith, his not lack of faith, his music, his food, all like all of these things. To, like that is what being a freaking leader is, man. It's Russell Wilson without the, the bullshit, I'm going to go on the field and go through my reps against air so the TV cameras can see it, which I don't even think is disingenuous. Hertz does it all behind closed doors. And he's proving to be a really special weapon. So fuck it. Give me the Eagles. I'm going to cover the three. Sorry, I went on a, went on a rant. I just love Jalen Hurts. I just do. I've said it all year. I love the person. I just needed to see more from the quarterback. And the offense has now been tailored. And credit to Sirianni for adjusting to the personnel that he has. And not trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. Uh, four o'clock window. We have the Chargers at the Denver Broncos. Now, again, the AFC West is still tight, right? The Broncos five and five are not even out of this, right? They win all of a sudden. Them and the Chargers uh, are tied, and the Broncos would have the head-to-head, and they'd be ahead. Um, Chargers are two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. Last time we saw the Broncos, they got stomped out by the Eagles. The week before that, they stomped out the Dallas Cowboys. Now, how did they beat the Cowboys? They did it by running the ball. They did it by running the ball and letting Patrick Sertan lock up the guys outside, Amari Cooper, uh, and they let the back end of their defense do some stuff there. And they shut down the run. This is going to be a fun game. And I actually think it's going to be relatively high scoring. The over-under is 47 and a half. And I know that sounds weird, but I actually I do think this is going to be a high scoring game because I think the Chargers are going to be able to move the ball pretty well. But I also think the Broncos are going to be able to run it. This is one of the worst run defenses in football. Bottom three for the Chargers. The Broncos have two really good running backs, and they had, they're had coming off a bye. They're rested. The offensive line's healthy. I think they're just going to go up and slam the ball down their throats. And I think the Chargers, who the offense has really looked like it's come along here in the last couple of weeks, I think the Chargers are going to be able to bounce back, come down, move the ball pretty well. So the Eagles were able to run the ball on them. And I really think where they can attack the Denver defense is with Austin Eckler in the passing game. Spring routes, wheel routes, angle routes, all these little things that you can get Austin Eckler the ball, screens. Uh, and then he can also run between the tackles. Follow Rashawn Slater, run it a ton. I think the Chargers win this game. It's two and a half. I actually think this is going to be a really fun game to watch. And I don't think the Broncos are as bad as people think. But I like the Chargers. I think the Chargers win this game. They started off really high on the season, they kind of dipped down, and it feels like they've started to kind of get some of that mojo together again. The win against Pittsburgh was really, really impressive, even without T.J. Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick. That's still good defense. I'm going to take the Chargers here uh, to cover the two and a half. Probably the game of the week, at least on paper, you have the Rams going to Green Bay. Now, when this line opened, Green Bay was a two-point favorite. And now it's swung all the way back to the Rams. Rams are plus one. Now there's been some injury stuff with Aaron Rodgers and him showing his freaking toe. Like, what the hell was that about? It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. I'm a big fan of this Packers team. And even in that, like Aaron Rodgers was dominant against the the, uh, Vikings last week. 
the Rams, the one thing you can say about the Rams is they've had, they're coming off a bye, two weeks to kind of get ready for this. Matt LaFleur, Sean McVay, they've known each other for years. LaFleur is a disciple of McVay. McVay, McVay does not want to lose to the Green Bay Packers. And now we've, we're also seeing the Rams off of back-to-back losses, right? Rams lost to Tennessee on Sunday night, follow that up with a loss, a beatdown on Monday night against the 49ers. This is a hard game to pick. And the Rams being a one-point favorite here is interesting, but it's in Lambeau. Matt, Matt Stafford has a lot of experience playing in Lambeau against the Packers when he did it for all those years for Detroit. But Robert Woods was so much more important in that offense than I think anybody realized. <clears throat> now, given two weeks, OBJ's caught up on the playbook. Maybe the Rams find a way to, to get this done. But I really like the Packers. Now, the one thing I haven't seen yet is what the injury report is, right? Because I know Aaron Rodgers is considered questionable, but he's likely going to play. There's also a good chance Aaron Jones comes back. Alan Lazard might come back. Uh, and if Alan Lazard does, then Rodgers has his full complement of wide receivers. Marquez Valdez-Scantling looked awesome, and he's only played in like four games this year, and he had like 13 targets last week. Over 100 yards, he had the long touchdown. And A.J. Dillon has been awesome filling in. The Rams' defense, you know, Von Miller really hasn't done anything in the two games he's played there. Jalen Ramsey's only going to be able to cover one of the guys, and that's the danger, right? Because there's not a single – there's not one receiver. I mean, obviously, Devontae Adams is incredible. And Devontae Adams versus Jalen Ramsey is going to be amazing. But even if you lock up Devontae Adams, which no one's able to do, even – Jalen Ramsey, we saw in the playoffs last year. I remember that that little goal line play that they ran the touchdown pass to Devontae Adams, where they sent Devontae Adams in motion across the field. And there was like a lack of communication. He got just a little bit. He had like two steps on Jalen Ramsey going after the side. They're literally on the one yard line. It was an easy touchdown for Rodgers and Devontae Adams. So even if you do take away Devontae Adams, Rodgers can still beat you in a bunch of different ways. The only thing that's giving me pause as to why I might end up taking the Rams here is the McVay factor. Back-to-back losses, and they're coming off of a bye. He wants to beat the crap out of Matt LaFleur. And I think the key for them is going to be, can they run the ball with Daryl Henderson? And also, how do they use OBJ? Because if OBJ, in the two weeks since they've played, has been able to catch up, understand the offense – and can replicate some of what Robert Woods did, because obviously Robert Woods has been there for a long time. OBJ is not going to be able to learn all that, the nuance and all that stuff in two weeks. But can he do enough and can they run the ball? I kind of think the Rams need this win to prove that they're legit because they don't have a lot of high-quality wins. The best win that they have this season is against the Colts. And they have a couple of bad losses. I'm really split here. I want to pick the Packers. It's in Lambeau. So I'm going to go with Green Bay. We'll see. That game can go either way. It's, it, it's actually going to, I think it's going to be a really, really entertaining game. Uh, my, uh, Minnesota at San Francisco, game I alluded to earlier. It's interesting because, again, they're tied right now. 
So this is a huge game for playoff seeding implications because whoever wins going to have the tiebreaker ahead. And they're also like the exact same team in the same boat, right? They've played pretty much every game close. They've each have wins against really good teams. Each have losses against bad teams. They're both five and five. San Francisco is minus three. So they're basically calling this one a pick them. Uh, but San Francisco has been not great at home. They're one and four at home right now. Minnesota has played everybody tight. I'm leaning towards Minnesota here. You're getting the three points. I think Minnesota can win this game out, right? I'm going to take the Vikings. Uh, it really feels like they've been able to – that last game, Minnesota against Green Bay, Kirk Cousins was just letting it rip, which usually means, all right, we're, we're due for a bad Kirk Cousins game. But I think Kirk Cousins is going to be really good in this game. Not a whole lot of pass rush from the 49ers. Yes, they have Nick Bosa. But off of the line for the Vikings has been pretty good, and I think they're going to be able to run the ball and attack the cornerbacks. Um, obviously, you have to worry about Fred Warner, who is – the most underappreciated player in all of football, but I'm going to take Minnesota to win this one outright. Sunday night, we have Cleveland at Baltimore. Baltimore is a three and a half point favorite. Uh, the looks like Lamar's playing. He said earlier this week, 120% the chance that he's going to play this week. So that sounds pretty confident. Um, I like Baltimore. I just do. Looks like Kareem Hunt's going to be back, but in a limited capacity, which is good news for the Browns. The Browns need this win more, but if the Browns win, right, they're seven and five. Ravens are seven and four if they lose. So the Browns are right in this, but they need this win. I don't know if they're going to get it, though. I like Baltimore. I like Baltimore a lot. And I like Lamar Jackson. Now, can Cleveland find a way to generate enough pressure and, 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 force the the Ravens into weird spots, definitely. But they've just keep finding ways to win games. It's three and a half. I don't love the hook there, but I'm going to take Baltimore to win and cover the three and a half. Monday night, Seattle and the Washington football team. Uh, this is going to be an ugly, not fun game to watch. Um, it's, it's even, right? It's a pick them. So who do you think is going to win? I know Seattle hasn't looked good. But Russell Wilson can't be this bad this many times in a row. Right? The Viking uh, the, the Seahawks are not a 3 and six. they're not as bad as 3 and 8 which they would be if they lose this game. And I don't think Washington's as good as as 5 was it 4 and 6. I mean Washington's win like again the best I mean they beat Tampa Bay, they beat Carolina. Can they make it 3 in a row? I don't think so. Can Russell Wilson continually be as bad as he has been no i don't think so but we still haven't seen russell wilson look healthy from since coming back with the finger so are you gonna am i gonna go with the all right i'm gonna try to be ahead of the curve here and this is where like some of the aggression stuff kind of comes in like i was talking about you're gonna be aggressive in in these bets and especially in a pick em game are you gonna try to get ahead of the oh now russell wilson's back and all of a sudden the lines are gonna adjust like you get a pick em here and we're picking between russell wilson and Taylor Heineke, Heineke. Like, think about it. It's a pick em between Russell Wilson and Taylor Heineke. If you had said that that was an even spread before the season, you'd be like, of course you're going to take Russell Wilson. And I get the fingers injured. But at some point, we're going to have to see Russ come back a little bit, right? And if Washington football team defense has gotten a little better, 
but they still don't have Chase Young. They're still not really going to be able to get after the quarterback the way that they usually are. They still have Montez Sweat. They still have Jonathan Allen. But their premier elite pass rusher is not there. I think Seattle's going to be able to run the ball a little bit, and I think they're going to be able to take some deep shots. I'm going to take Russell Wilson and the Seahawks to have a big bounce back week. Uh, All right, quick break, come back, and give you my college football picks, wrap it up, get you on to the weekend uh, of football. All right, rivalry week. One of the hardest phrases to say, rivalry week. Rivalry week, rivalry week. Seriously, it's really hard. Say it in your car right now as you're as you're walking. Rivalry week. It's fucking impossible. It's like the Red River, Red River rivalry. That's harder. Red River rivalry. Rivalry week, for whatever reason, is a hard one to say. Need a linguistic expert on here to tell me why that's hard. Explain it to me. I have some family members who are speech pathologists, so maybe they can maybe they can show me it. Uh, rivalry week is always fun in college football. We had the Egg Bowl last night. Ole Miss won. Uh, no dogs pissing on the field. No players pretending to piss on the field. It was a relatively tame Egg Bowl for, for what it's been in the past. But again, those two fan bases fucking hate each other. But there's a lot of good games. I, I do find it funny, though, like Penn State's like – Penn State is exactly like the high school I went to. Where like the high school I went to was like the newer high school in my school district. There were three. And it was CB East versus CB West. And I went to CB South and East and West had this old historic rivalry that went by forever. And then we came in and we tried to make all those games be like rivalry games for us. Yeah. We're going to, we hate CB West. We hate CB East. And uh, (laughs) what's hilarious is that they didn't care about us. And that's what Ohio state versus Michigan and Penn state are. So Penn state's rivalry game is against Michigan state, but I picked this game as well as I wanted to pick because Penn State, despite being unranked, is a two-point favorite on the road against the number 12 team in the country. Now, Michigan State just got throttled by Ohio State. But Penn State's defense might be the best defense that Michigan State has played probably since the Michigan game. And honestly, I think Penn State's defense might be the best in the Big Ten East. It's not better than Wisconsin's, but it's right, it's right up there. It's definitely better than Ohio State's. Kenneth Walker got shut out. I think he had 26 yards total. Uh, it's a guy who was a Heisman candidate before that game, and Ohio State completely shut him down and put everything on Peyton Thorne. And I think James Franklin, that defensive Penn State, is going to try to do the same thing. But can they do it? I think this is going to be a really entertaining game because I think Sean Clifford is going to have a lot of options. I think Jahan Dotson is going to catch a lot of deep balls. I think Penn State's going to be able to put up points. So can Michigan State run the ball against Penn State? The one weakness we saw in Penn State's defense, I think, all year was the way that Travion Henderson for Ohio State and the way that Tank Bigsby and the running backs down at Auburn ran the ball against them this year. I'm very excited to watch this game. And I think Penn State is going to struggle a little bit stopping Kenneth Walker. But the pass defense for Michigan State is so bad. So bad. And Sean Clifford has looked good throwing the ball. So, that being said, I don't have a firm grip on which side I'm going to take here. Two points is a great spread. But I think Penn State's going to win. 
I do. I think Jahan Dotson is going to have one of those three touchdown days. And I think the defense is going to get pressure on Peyton Thor- uh, Thorne, but they have to sell out against the blitz or against the run. They're going to have to blitz a little bit. They have to get pressure on Peyton Thorne. And you got to have to hope that your guys can play one-on-one with the Michigan State wide receivers, which I think the secondary in Penn State can. So I'm going to take Penn State here to win uh, and cover the three points. The Civil Conflict, formerly known as the Civil War, Oregon and Oregon State. You're probably thinking, why is this one of the games you're picking? Well, this game last year was one of the best games in all of college football in the last couple of years. And it was won at the buzzer with a backup quarterback who came in for one play, the final play of the game, to push the pile at the goal line. And Oregon State won the civil conflict. Jonathan Smith, the most generic name in the history of college football coaches. Oregon State has only been good, really, a couple of different times. And this year is one of them. Oregon State's 7-4. and four. They're a really competitive team. Had a really hard place to do it. When we talk about dark horse names that could pop up for maybe Washington, maybe USC, don't count out Jonathan Smith. But Jonathan Smith was the quarterback at Oregon State, the only other time in their program's history where they were a competitive team, where they were playing in bowl games. Oregon State's going to their first bowl in almost a decade. And that is a credit to what Jonathan Smith has done and built at Oregon State. Oregon is a seven-point favorite. They just got the crap kicked out of them against Utah. They're a deflated team. But Mario Cristobal is a really good coach. But there's also been a lot of rumors swirling around. Oregon's seven-point favorite. It's in Oregon. It's in Eugene. Right? So Oregon State's on the road here. I don't know how, you know, locked in Oregon is going to be. Now, there is actually a scenario based off of the Pac-12 record that Washington State could end up winning the Pac-12 North. I actually think Oregon State might be able to as well, because if they win, they'd both be 6-3 and three in conference play, and Oregon State would have the tie, head-to-head tiebreaker. So Oregon, it's not like Oregon doesn't have something to play for. A Pac-12 championship still on the line. So I expect them to play tough. I expect them to come out and, and, and win this game. But how much do they do? How much do they win? How much do they win by, I should say? I think they win by a couple of touchdowns. And as much as I like Oregon State, and I like the story with Jonathan Smith, and they're going to go bowl hop. They're going bowling. They're good. They've had a great season. Seven and five is not bad at Oregon State. It's, it's Honestly, it's impressive. I'm going to take Oregon. Big bounce back game. You just got embarrassed on the road in Utah. And right now, Oregon State, college, or Oregon, college football playoff is not an option. But a Pac-12 championship is. An opportunity to go play in the Rose Bowl is. And I think that's going to be enough to keep them motivated. I think it's going to be enough for them to win this game and win it handily. So give me the Ducks to cover the seven. Plus the revenge. I mean, you lose a game like that last year. I mean, that game was incredible. The Iron Bowl. One of the most fun rivalries in all of college football. Crazy things have happened in Jordan Hare. And Alabama is a 20 and a half point favorite against Auburn and Auburn since Bo Nix got hurt does not look like the same team. And if, if Bo Nix was in this game, the spread probably looks a little different. It's probably more like 15 and a half, 16 and a half. But since Bo Nix went out you know, TJ Finley's the quarterback, it just doesn't look like the same team. 
right? And Bo Nix is a weird quarterback, up and down quarterback. I don't love Bo Nix by any stretch of the imagination, but Bo Nix is, is still kind of like that heartbeat guy. He's a little Trace McSorley-esque, though I think Troy, Trace was a much better quarterback. 20 and a half is a lot of points, and it's at Auburn. It's at Jordan Hare. Between the hedges, does Auburn have enough to keep this game close? Now, remember, Alabama was in a shootout against Arkansas last week. Alabama's defense is now what we're accustomed to seeing. They're going to have to completely eliminate the run for Auburn. But Auburn's a really good running team. I think they're going to be able to move the ball pretty consistently against Alabama. But Alabama can score so quick. And I'll add one other wrinkle in here. An individual award, especially for guys at Alabama, it's not, it's not what it's about. But Bryce Young, it's, it's Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud who's going to win the Heisman this year. And this is an opportunity for Bryce Young to really lay the hammer down. But do they win the Iron Bowl by 21 or more points? For pride alone, I have a hard time believing that. I feel like Auburn, like this is Auburn's Super Bowl, right? Auburn's got six wins. They're going to a bowl game. So it's not like they have any extra incentive to, you know, I just, it's, it's hard for me to think that Auburn's going to lose this game by three touchdowns. So give me the Tigers. It's maybe it's a dumb pick, right? How many times do we say don't bet against Nick Saban, but I don't know. I just, I 20 and a half is a lot in this game, the rivalry, it's always intense. And I think Bryce Young's going to put up a lot of points, but the Bama defense is not the defense we're accustomed to seeing. Everyone came into this year thinking Alabama's defense is going to be the is going to be the, the better side of the ball, and it's not been that way at all. Bryce Young has come in and been fantastic immediately as a redshirt freshman. Um, let's keep going here. I guess he's a sophomore technically because I don't think he actually redshirted last year. Bedlam, Oklahoma at Oklahoma State. The Cowboys, the Pokies, they are a four-and-a-half-point favorite at home, night game. One of, it's Stillwater is going to be insane in this game. And what's interesting about this game is Oklahoma State. Like, we know who Oklahoma State is. Pretty good running game. Spencer Sanders is an okay quarterback, doesn't really make a whole lot of mistakes, but is not going to win you games. And they're a freaking awesome defense. They've been the same team in every single game this entire season. They got two really good running backs. The kid from Utah State, awesome player. And again, Spencer Sanders, not a great quarterback, but he's not going to lose you games. Oklahoma, on the other hand, has been the most up and down, left and right, topsy-turvy team we've had in all of college football. We've seen this defense shut out one of the best running backs in college football in Breezall last week. We've also seen the Texas-Oklahoma insane shootout that we had in like week, week five or six, whenever that was, which was the best game in college football this year. We've seen Caleb Williams look like an unbelievable, like best player in college football level kind of quarterback. We've also seen him get benched in a one-score game against Baylor. 
I have no idea what we're what to expect out of Oklahoma. Now, Lincoln Riley, I do believe, is one of the best coaches in college football. And I think the offense is going to be ready for this. But we said the same thing about Texas. Said the same thing about Baylor. Said the same thing about pretty much every team Oklahoma State has played this year, with the exception of Iowa State. Well, Iowa State's defense played amazing in that game against Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. In life, you want to bet on the variables that you know. Right? Always take the enemy you know over the one that you don't. Whatever that expression is. I know it bothers you. The variables, the uncertainty, the what is this going to be for Oklahoma makes it really hard for me to think, oh, yeah, give me Oklahoma. Four and a half point spread, though. Could it be a close game? Do I think Oklahoma State wins by a full touchdown? I don't know. They're going to need at least a touchdown win. That four and a half is a tricky number. I think it's going to be a close game. I'm going to take Oklahoma to cover the four and a half, but I expect it to be close, and I do think Oklahoma State ends up winning the game. Last game we're going to pick. The game, as they call it, noon on Saturday, Ohio State versus Michigan. Now, Ohio State's a seven-point favorite in this game, which is pretty low for them considering what you know some of the spreads all year have been, which means Vegas actually thinks that Michigan has a shot here without it being a, a crazy, you know, upset like the Oregon, Ohio State game when Oregon was a 19-and-a-half-point underdog and ended up winning outright against Ohio State in week two. The difference with Michigan is that they have two elite pass rushers, Ujabu and Hutchinson, are both really good. Both guys can pressure, but – one of the best offensive tackles in football right now is the right tackle for Ohio State, who coming into the season was kind of an unproven. I mean, he's the biggest guy in college football. In fact, uh, Nike had to get a cost. Like Nike said they made the biggest jersey that they've ever made for the starting right tackle at Ohio State. And Ohio State's offensive line has played really well. The only way Michigan wins this game is by making C.J. Stroud feel really uncomfortable, running the ball efficiently, and causing turnovers. Now, Michigan gets them at home. That helps. But the way Ohio State's been looking in these last couple of weeks, it is really hard to bet against them. Like, really hard. And I would love to see Michigan win. Because if Michigan wins... Talk about ultimate chaos situations. You have a two-loss Ohio State who would not be playing for the Big Ten Championship. You would have Jim Harbaugh finally getting the monkey off the back. You'd have Michigan, assuming that they end up winning the Big Ten Championship, cementing themselves as one of the college football playoff teams. I don't think they're going to be able to do it. I think C.J. Stroud has done such a good job getting the ball out. And the thing you got to remember, too, that wide receiver room is five deep with guys who could all be day one, day two picks in the NFL. The, the three right there that are starting, 
are all going to be first round picks. Maybe one falls to the second round. It's, it's wild. It's like the LSU team. It's like the Alabama team. It's just a loaded wide receiver room. And when they leave, they got guys right behind them. I don't think Michigan State's going to be able to stop the pass. I don't think they're going to be able to get home to CJ Stroud enough. I hope I'm wrong. But I think Ohio State rolls. The trends continue. It's just so hard to beat Ohio State in the Big Ten East because they just recruit at such an elite level. And for as awesome as Michigan has been this year, remember, they were up 16 against Michigan State and I'm losing that game in the second half. Points can be had on Michigan. And Michigan's not going to be able to outscore Ohio State and attract them. I'm taking the Buckeyes. That's it. That's the picks. That's all we got. Thank you all for listening. As always, this has been a fun pod. Hope everyone has a one had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Hope you have a great weekend. Hope everyone gets home safely, travels safely uh, as, as we turn the clocks to December within the next week. Christmas season's upon us. My dad's already got his Christmas lights set up going. He's man's a lunatic, and I love it. So, uh, again, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Be thankful for the things you have in your life. Uh, tell the people you love that in your life that you love that you love them and your families and everyone else. I hope everyone has a safe and wonderful weekend. Enjoy rivalry week. Enjoy week 12 in the NFL. Uh, a lot of, lot of good football on the docket. And uh, we'll talk to you guys on Tuesday. Take it easy, everybody.